0: Wonderful to gather together and worship, team. Thank you for, for leading us so beautifully today as we're lifting up the name of Jesus together. A couple of things that are going on, especially for those of you that if you came in late, I want to just reiterate one of the announcements that were made. Next week, what time are we having church? 10 a.m. You got it. You're on it. You're with it. Some of you are like, okay, now I know. Good. 10 a.m. We're going to be doing an outdoor service uh, right here. We look forward to that celebration together. Uh, Also, next week, we're going to be having a Living Waters prayer service. and so We know that uh, several of you have been a part of that. We would love for you to come out and to to join in with the team that's going to be leading the Living Waters prayer service. It's right here in this room, 615 uh, Sunday evening. Wonderful time to simply lean in, uh, pursue the presence of God, pray together. We pray for revival in this area, we pray for revival in our own hearts because we need that. We pray for the church. We pray for the community. So, uh, come on out and uh, learn to pray with us. That's what we're trying to do: is learn to pray as Jesus would teach us. Uh, one other thing I want to just mention to you: a couple of our staff members got on a plane, I think, very early this morning, like 6 a.m. Uh, to go out to Spokane, Washington. For General Council. That is the national council for our denomination. It happens every two years. Uh, I wanted to stick around and preach to you, so I'm, I'm here for a little bit longer. But I'm going to be late, uh, leaving just a little bit later in the week. Uh, If you are interested in knowing what's happening from the sort of national or even global level of the denomination, there's incredible stories of what God is doing from all around the world. In your bulletin, there's information for how you can log on and several of the events and services and things that are happening and presentations are available to the public. So if you want to kind of check that out from a distance perspective, hey, if you want to hop on a plane and join me out in Spokane, Washington, go ahead and do that too. Uh, But easier for you, you can just check it out on in the information that's in the bulletin. So that's going to be happening later this week. Uh, pray for the denomination. You know, Pray that God will give wisdom. Pray for our leaders. That's certainly a biblical uh, thing for us to do. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. That's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time today. And while you're turning there, let me ask you to ponder a question. The question is this. What is your earliest memory? The earliest memory that you can come up with. It's funny to think about how many things go into your life and the foundational things uh, that happen uh, that you never know about, because most of us, the experts say, we don't remember memories before three or maybe three and a half years of age, and some of us a lot later. So some of you might be saying, hey, I, my first memory isn't until eight or nine or ten or something like that. So just think about what is your first memory. Some of you it might be very happy. Some of you it might be sad. Some of you it might be difficult. Oftentimes... Uh, It can be a traumatic sort of event that sort of gets lodged in our brain as the first thing that we remember. Uh, When I think about different experts that have contemplated this field of study, uh, I go to uh, Calvin and Hobbes, because certainly they (laughs) contemplated some of the deep things of life. Calvin and Hobbes is the boy and his little tiger from the comic strip, if you remember. Uh, Calvin wonders when he says, I don't remember much of anything until I was three years old. That is... That is scientifically correct. Half of my life, he says, is a complete blank. I must have been brainwashed. He then goes on to say, good heavens, what kind of sicko would brainwash an infant? And what did I know that someone wanted me to forget? So in case you're wondering, what have we all not remembered from our first three years? Maybe we've all been brainwashed. Maybe that's true. But maybe it's true also that we simply have parts of our early memories in life we don't remember. But foundational things were happening even then. What's the earliest memory you can think of? I started thinking about that this week, and uh, I'm pretty certain that my earliest memory is falling down the stairs when I was three years old. Uh, In fact, I I sent a message to my mom, and I said, "Uh, do you remember my epic fall down the stairs? And she said, every parent would remember that. Yes, I, I remember that very, very well. Uh, I said, how old was I when that happened, do you think? And she was doing the math, and she said, I'm pretty sure you had just turned three years old. So I was, I was very, very young, uh, but that was my earliest memory. And it's odd how distinct it is. It's strange how, like, clear it is in my mind. There's plenty of other memories that are much more fu- fuzzy. That one is really clear. I remember looking down at my little chubby three-year-old legs. I remember seeing them. I remember seeing the the clunky shoes that I was wearing that we did determine was the culprit for the fall, by the way, in case you're trying to put the facts together. But I remember the shoes. I remember what they looked like. So bizarre. I remember losing my balance at the top of the stairs and being like, whoa, that was close, right before I fell down the rest of the way. The stairs were not carpeted. They were wooden steps. It was an epic fall that would have made any stuntman very jealous or whatever. And so when I brought that up to my mom, she, she said, I think I was more upset than you were. And you were pretty upset when that happened. Memory is an interesting thing. We take time to remember things that are significant to us, we commemorate things like birthdays, holidays. And oftentimes, our memories are marked, especially in every generation. There seems to be some kind of tragedy that shapes us or even shakes us. I was even thinking about this like with my, my grandparents' generation was impacted by things like the Great Depression uh, or Pearl Harbor. I mean, these were epic events in their time, but I read about them from the safety of a history book, right? And so did many of you. My parents say things like they remember where they were when JFK was shot. Like that's a, that's a specific phrase that I have heard my parents and their friends and people, I, I remember exactly where I was when I heard the news about JFK being shot. Or on a happier note, things like the moon landing was something I remember when I was up, we were gathered together and we were watching different coverage or whatever, uh, the moon landing. In my generation, uh, there were certain events from our childhood, from my childhood that really stood out to me. Does anybody know what this picture is? It's a little bit of a distinct one. Do you know what that is? Challenger, right? So if you were like in fifth grade, I think it was in fifth grade when, when this happened, um, that, was a, that was a powerful, traumatic, uh, frightening uh, sort of event that, that gripped my attention for the, for the whole day. And well beyond that whole day, I was sort of fixated on what had become of these people that were sort of heroes that we were rooting for. That was a sad event. It was a tragic one. Here's another one. that uh, this, Here's the interesting thing about this next one. Of course, you know what this is. Uh, it was September 11th. But as I was thinking about this, Um, There are members of my family that were not born at this time. There are plenty of people in our church that read about this in history books or have heard stories, but you didn't live through it. I remember right where I was when Amy called me and said, did you hear about what's going on? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's like, "That that is in my brain. That was a powerful moment. Uh, on a little bit of a lighter note, since some of this stuff is heavy, um, here's, here's one for you, if you can uh, live through this, if you, if you bring up the next one. <laughs> Do you know what this <laughs> what This is in reference to? This was the near miss. It almost got us all. We were convinced that Y2K was going to bring down planes and cars were going to start doing crazy things, and who knows what was going to happen. The world was going to come to an end. Uh, I remember also, speaking of traumatic traumatic upon uh, trauma upon trauma, I had one of the worst flus of my life uh, on New Year's Eve of when the clock turned to 2,000, and I went to Amy's parents' house. Uh, I was in recovery mode, and they're like watching the ball drop. I woke up long enough to see if the world was going to end, and it didn't, and I went back to bed. That was Y2K, for those of you who don't know about that. But there's something about memory. There's something about in every generation, it seems, as you live long enough, that you're not just learning about things in a history book, but there will be events that shape you. And there will be even events that shake you. The title of the message today is The Power of Remembrance. And it seems appropriate, actually, today, though I didn't plan it this way, on Memorial Day weekend. This is a weekend that we... We pause to remember. But those who have given a, a great sacrifice, who have given their lives uh, in service to the country, it's a moment that we step back and we say, "This, that's important. We, we remember that. We take time this weekend to remember. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 with you. This is all about this idea of... Legacy And it's all about this idea of memory. Moses coming to the end of his life. He's coming to the end of his leadership. He's likely thinking a lot about legacy. What's going to happen in this next generation that he's leaving behind? And he begins to call them in this passage to remember. Remember where they've come from. Remember what God has done. Remember how generations before them have struggled. And ultimately, remember the people that God is calling them to be. And I, I suspect that that this scene would have accompanied some very deep emotion. You can imagine the people of God, they're hanging on to the words of this leader who they have journeyed with. Uh, This is now the threshold of a new adventure. We don't know what's going to happen. This is the heart cry of a leader who has come to the end of his time. And the call that he gives them is this, I want you to remember. I want you to remember. So that's the heart cry in Deuteronomy 8. Let's read together where Moses says this, Be careful to follow every command that I am giving you today. I'm going to pause for just a second to say when he says every command, if you continue to read all the way through the end of chapter 26, you come into the second portion of Deuteronomy that's what we call the second giving of the law, where it is is Moses reiterating, bringing some new, but largely reiterating the law to the people uh, to God's people, so he says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and be and enter and possess the land the Lord has promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these forty years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. And then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know, that's the words that Jesus then picked when he was resisting the devil in the wilderness. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Verse 6. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to Him and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out of the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. God, a blessing to the reading of His Word today. So we've been on a little bit of an adventure as we've gone through the Pentateuch. Uh, That's the first five books of the Bible. Uh, In Genesis, if you were to sum up a key word, you talk about creation, the creator creation relationship, and a family that is chosen by God. In Exodus, we see the deliverance being a key word. The family has become a people, they are now delivered by God from their oppression. In Leviticus, a key word would be proximity. How does a fallen humanity approach the holiness of God? In Numbers, we talked about wilderness. We're going through the wilderness where God's people are tested by God. And finally, in Deuteronomy, we're all about legacy. Last week, Pastor Aidan was sharing with you a legacy of faith. Pass this on to your children. The things that you're learning, the things that I've taught you, the Shema, uh, the behold, the Lord your God is one. Uh, pass this on to your children. That's a legacy of faith. It's a legacy of focus. Keep your eyes on God. And one of the things I think vital for us to understand too, a legacy of flexibility. There's going to be twists and turns in this road. I do. Uh, we used to do marriage uh, counseling all the time, when, especially when I was doing campus ministry. We're doing sometimes six weddings a, a summer. Pastor Dan, you know a little bit about that journey. Because it's just it's a time in life where a lot of people are, are ready to make that commitment and they're going forward. And so time after time after time, I'd be doing a, a, a wedding with a couple, and what I'm trying to convey to them more than anything in the pre-marriage council is this. You don't know what you're getting into. You just don't. And even if you think you do, you don't. And even if you talk to people who now have figured out what they're into, you still don't. That's why the vows are all like forward-looking. We say whatever comes, and in sickness and in health, and in rich or for poor or whatever, I'm going to vow to be with you, and I'm going to be with you because I don't know what the future holds. And you don't. Your walk with Jesus is like that. The, the end of this Season for the people of God is like that. There's going to be twists and turns in the road. There's going to be wins and losses in life. There's going to be incredible joy and there's going to be crushing loss. And you got to keep moving. Don't get stuck in the rut. Don't get stuck in the past because you got to keep moving with the Lord. So that's when we talk about a, a legacy of flexibility, that's actually a really vital thing for us, especially as followers of Christ. We don't know what the future holds but we know who holds it. So today what I'd like to do in this passage when we talk about the power of remembrance is I just want to look at two things. The first one is remembering God's faithfulness. What did that mean for the people of Israel at that time? What does that mean for us today? And then the second one is going to be this. Remember our brokenness. And this this takes us into a sort of an internal journey that I think is one of the most important and oftentimes neglected parts of the Christian discipleship realm. We're not going to cover all of that today, but by God's grace, I hope to give you a couple of tools to move you forward in that journey. So first, remembering God's faithfulness. Verse 2 says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you. There is power in memory. And Moses is essentially standing before the people. He's not going to be going into the promised land. It's already been declared. He's done. He's, not, he's going to die outside of the promised land, but He's going to send them in. And so now this leader who has led this next generation up and brought them to the cusp of this new adventure is saying, don't forget what God has done. God has been faithful to His covenant relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God has heard the cry of His people in their suffering. God has delivered His people by His mighty hand. This picture is actually a very beautiful one. As I'm imagining Moses, he's the older generation now. He's one of the very few people who has actually seen God do this. And yet here he is standing with the people and what's he saying? Guys, I was there. I saw God move. I mean, that would be be a very critical moment, especially because some of these now have grown up in the wilderness. They've grown up in this 40 years of wandering. So they haven't seen all the things that Moses has seen. It's actually a beautiful picture of the verse that we read in our call to worship in Psalm 145. One generation commends your works to another, they tell of your mighty acts. One of the things we have endeavored to be, one of the reasons I love being part of this church family, is that we are truly a multi generational church. I love that in, in our services, you know, we got folks that are in their 90s. Uh, We've got folks that are nine days old, nine months old, or whatever, and everything in between. It is truly a multi-generational experience. I talked to somebody after the first service who said, I just turned 89, brother. You missed me by a year. I said, yeah, okay, you're getting there. He's almost into that that upper uh, generation. But here's what we see in the life of Moses as he's standing before these people. One generation commending your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. And I think there's something very instructive for us here. Influence of the previous generation is vitally important. That one generation would commend the works of God to the next, and would actually live it out in a joyful and whimsical relational way so that the next generation can actually see it vitally important. However, the encounter with God in every generation is actually what is critical what do I mean by that it is vital that the next generation does not simply inherit the stories of what God used to do I think for many of us in our journey we've heard the stories of what God used to do and we wonder well what's God doing now it caused Amy and me to begin to think when we knew that we were going to become parents, you begin to really take inventory of what kind of legacy are we actually going to leave. And you start to even think, if you've got kind of a spiritual head on your shoulders, you start to actually think, there are certain things that I am not going to be able to do for my children. You understand? You understand? So we actually began to pray for our children before we ever knew them, before they came into the world that they would have encounters with God, that their faith would be a real thing and not simply riding on the coattails of the faith of their parents because the encounter with God in every generation is critical. Let me explain it to you this way. When you think about spiritual legacy, and many of you do, consider this. Your next generation can live off of your financial legacy if you make enough money. You know I mean? If you, if you bank enough money, you could have enough that you could say, I'm gonna die a wealthy person, pass it on to my kids, and they might not have to work a day in their life. It would be so good. Incidentally, that doesn't always work well. Just think that through. It doesn't always work well for the people who receive that, but it, it can happen. You know, you could make enough financial uh, money that you could actually leave a legacy that people could live on. However... Your next generation cannot live off of your faith. They can be influenced by it, but the critical next step is that through a miracle of God's grace that they make their faith their own. We began to pray for our kids, and we still pray, not even just for our kids. We pray for the next generation that the encounter with God would be real. Real that the encounter that they see in your life and in the generation above them would be authentic because that's helpful. But we can't make the decision for them. We can't encounter God for them. That has to happen in every generation. So it's something we pray for. We begin to ask God that at the key markers of their lives that there would be intersections where our kids and your kids would have opportunities to really encounter Him. I was thinking about this. There was, this was a really special thing when I was 19 years old uh, I had a real sort of spiritual renaissance, and I've shared a little bit about that time in my life. That was just a time God got a hold of me. It's probably why Amy and I really loved uh, campus ministry so much, because it was that formative time. And many of you remember what it was like to be 19, 20 years old. I mean, you're, your life is changing so fast, and you're growing, and you're learning, and you're developing. You're becoming a person in a very short amount of time uh, of development uh, but it's a very critical season. So I was about 19 years old and God started getting a hold of my life and I started having a passion to get in the word and growing in him and all of that kind of stuff. You know, you think about restore to me the joy of my salvation. We prayed that a little bit earlier. That's one of the seasons that my that I go back to when I think about that. That fresh encounter with the Lord that he was saying, I got a purpose for your life. You're not figuring it out yet, but I'm going to show you what it is. Okay? So that was a critical time for me. I remember there was a gentleman in our church. He was a guy I really looked up to ever since I had been a little kid. He was probably my parents' age. And uh, he was someone I really looked up to. And he started seeing the work of God in my life. And just in passing, one time we were talking about some different things, and he just kind of gave me this look. It was so special. It was so, it was so affirming in my heart and my life. He looked at me and he said, you're making your faith your own. And then he just gave me that kind of nod "Hmm. that's good you're making your faith your own and then he actually added another thing he said and it actually seems like you're helping other people to do the same Hmm. that's good see i had to make my faith my own you got to make your faith your own your kids have to make their faith their own here's moses standing on the cusp of this new adventure and he's imploring to the next generation of god's people to say don't forget what God has done. And you're going to have to learn for yourself what it is to follow hard after him. So that's why we begin to pray this before our children even come into the world. Remember God's faithfulness. All the way back when, this is back in Exodus when Moses was getting the Ten Commandments uh, written on stone for the second time. Uh, You can go back and read about what happened the first time. But anyway, he's getting them the second time. Uh, And he's having a conversation with God. Exodus 34, this sort of covenantal relationship with Moses. This is what it says. Uh, It says, The Lord came down in a cloud, and he's passing in front of Moses, and he's proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands of generations. That was how he was describing himself. So now here is Moses standing in front of this next generation of God's people, calling them to remember God's faithfulness. So as you kind of stick that idea here on the side, this is the very easy point. We're just going to finish it up here in a moment. I do want to say this, though. I was on a, I was on a prayer call uh, this week. Um, I've got a couple different prayer gatherings. This is a sweet one. Uh, it's, a, it's a prayer gathering. It's just half hour a week. And we pray for um, Canada, United States, and Mexico that God would breathe revival and, and blessing over that area. God would show himself and, and do the work that he wants to do. So we just, we're praying for our country, we're praying for our neighbors, and praying that God would work in this part of the world. Amy joins uh, that, that group as well. Uh, so I was on that call uh, this week, and it's, it's an, a neat call because there's different people that speak different languages, and they're just, everyone's encouraged to kind of speak in your own kind of heart language that, that you know well, and so people are praying. Sometimes you don't understand all the words that they're saying, but we're just kind of agreeing in prayer, multi-language experience is kind of neat. Uh, but this one woman was praying, and she, she used this phrase, and I'm right in the middle of working on this sermon and everything, it, she didn't know that, but she said, God, I want to pray that your people would have an anointed memory that's the word she used and I didn't really know what she meant by that but she said that they would remember the joy of their salvation and that is an important prayer I th- you know, I thought about you as a church. I thought about me. I thought about kind of the journey that we're on. Like, if we forget the joy of our salvation, we're down the road. We're journeying with Jesus. Jesus said the journey was going to be hard, right? So we start to get fatigued. We start to get worn out. We start to get cynical. We all of those kind of things can happen. And then, but when we remember the joy of our salvation, what was it like when God first called your name? What was it like when you started realizing I'm not satisfied with the things of the world? You know, I remember being looking in the mirror and saying, I, I don't like the guy that's looking back at me. I don't like the person I'm becoming. And I'm not really sure what to do about that. When you're in that kind of place, and God meets you and says, well, you're just on the wrong path. I want to show you what real life is going to be all about. That's the sort of joy of your salvation. She said then as well, pray that people would remember the joy of communion with God. You remember walking closely with Jesus? Some of you are doing it right now. I get that. You look at those seasons where you say, yeah, man, God was really, God was really speaking to me in that season. That was a special season. It's an anointed memory. How about the, the other one? I, I love this phrase, too. This is all just from this prayer call. A woman whose name I don't even know. Uh, she said, pray that, that in that anointed memory people would re-experience joyful dependence upon God. That's a great word. Joyful dependence. God, I need you. And I'm okay with it right I need you and I'm okay with it I'm good with it I love it in fact but I need you so remember God's faithfulness and the people of Israel were called to do that and we are called to do that and we have the capacity to do that in fact it's a critical part of growing in Christ remember God's faithfulness the second one is this remember our brokenness Moses ends this particular portion by saying, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Now let me ask you a question. Why was that so important to Moses to say that? Why did he tell him that? He could have told them anything. He already gave them the positive. You know, remember what God's done. Remember the faithfulness of God. But now he says... Don't forget. Don't fail to put this into practice. There's sort of this cautionary word here. If you go back to Exodus 34, which we referenced before with the Ten Commandments being given and God's faithfulness to a thousand generations forgiving the wicked and rebellion and sin, and yet He does not let the guilty go unpunished. It says in verse 7 of Exodus 34, He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents... To the third and fourth generation. It's like Moses kind of understood some stuff about God from the experiences that he had. And so he was bringing this to the people of God, saying, Don't fail to be faithful to God. Why is he saying it? Because their parents did. Most of their parents are like buried in the wilderness because of their rebellion even being brought out of deliverance and experiencing God in that way, they're not saying, we want to go back to Egypt, we want to rebel about it, we don't want to go into the promised land. They get their wish and they die in the wilderness. Now, Moses is imploring the next generation, don't fall into the same pattern that your parents did. Some scholars believe that the best translation for punishing, for the third and fourth generation, punishing word, is actually translated tends to be repeated. What w- happens in one generation tends to repeat itself in the next. And I've only said that much and you're already going, yep, <laughs> like, I totally get that. Whether I want to get that or not, I've totally seen that. Incidentally, it's easier to see in other people. But it probably happens in you as well. What happens in one generation tends to be Repeated in the next. I just finished uh, Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. I would highly recommend it. Um, He says this While it seems that each person is an individual acting alone, that person is also part of a larger family system going back three and four generations. This idea is actually incredibly biblically grounded. I'll give you a couple examples right now. So if you take two families, one before the time of Moses, one after the time of Moses. Before the time of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Though It's so easy to see the trends that happen in this family. And yet, I want you to remember, these are the people that are in covenant relationship with God. These are God's people. And they are passing down a covenant of blessing. It's just that's not all they're passing down. They're also passing down a pattern of lying. That's a family line kind of thing. Pattern of lying. I, I don't have time to go into all of this, but it's—I mean—it it fascinated me the first time I even read it. When you know Abraham's wife Sarah, she's very beautiful. He's afraid that she's—he's going to get killed because someone's going to want his wife, and so he says, "Just tell everybody you're my sister." Uh, so he responds out of fear, and then that doesn't go very well, and then he does it again, and then his son does the same thing. What is it? It's a a pattern. It's a family pattern. Deception and lying. Jacob's name means deceiver. Uh, Go figure. And then in Joseph and his brothers, there's lying everything else. Uh, Favoritism shows up again and again, right down through the family line. Broken family ties, again and again, right through the family line. Poor intimacy in marriages shows up right down the family line. These are God's people. Take a family after the time of Moses. You look at David... His son Solomon, his son Rehoboam. What do you see? You see, David's a man after God's own heart. You see, this is is the line of the Messiah going through this family. And these are good people. These are God's people. But they're also passing down spiritual and moral compromise. You see it in every generation. Sexual brokenness. You see it in every generation. Unresolved conflict and avoidance. You see it in every generation remembering our brokenness so here's Moses he's talking to the next generation he's saying your parents messed this up there's a very good reality and a very good chance that you are going to struggle just like they struggled and you have to be aware of it that does translate friends to us today it translates into us needing to take a deep and hard look inside this is a part of our discipleship that often gets ignored and I spent much of my church life and Christian walk profoundly unaware of the way that my inner life and inherited makeup was impacting my journey toward maturity frankly I'm still kind of figuring it out and most of you are probably too but we should not ignore it here's Moses getting ready to launch the next generation why is he concerned about their ability to remain faithful because their parents struggled to remain faithful Now I'm going to take it just a little bit deeper for you. Perhaps a little more challenging is this. Some of us are living right now under the weight of a false identity and destiny given to you by your parents or grandparents or other people in your family line. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. And then I'm going to tell you It's actually not an abnormal thing. The weight of being a parent is you wonder about how much are we actually screwing our kids up most of the time. But some of us right now listening to this message, you're actually living under the weight of a false identity and a false destiny. Because the enemy of your soul comes to steal and kill and destroy. John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that they would have life and life to the full. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's opportunistic. He doesn't tend to miss a beat, right? So when you hear the inner voice of your parent or of your relative or of the person who's saying, you are just like your dad. You are just like your mom. And and again, here's the thing. It's amazing to me. This is why I know I'm not done growing in this. Most of the people that I am currently having conversation with around this subject, they're like in their 70s. Some of them have dealt with their stuff and learned, and still dealing. Some of them maybe just coming to terms with what was going on under the surface all this time. Uh, I think this is a quote from from Pete Cazero. He says, "I got Jesus in my heart, but I got Grandpa in my bones." and I'm painfully unaware of what's going on. There is hope in this, but here's the the word. I, I want you to hear this. Some of you need to hear this word. It may be time to break off that influence, and here's why. Because breaking it off is infinitely better than passing it down. You actually have an authority in Christ that the people of Israel in the time of Moses, did not yet fully have or not in the same way. They were in the old covenant with God. You are in the new covenant indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God if you're in Christ today. That means if you are 10 years old or 100 years old, you have an authority in Christ to stake a claim over your family line. That's a big process, but I'm going to give you one or two very simple tools today because some of you, I think, need to do it. You need to start that process today. It's a journey I've been on. It's a journey most of us need. You have an awareness in Christ. You have an authority in Christ. And you have a calling to step into the restoration of Christ. The interesting thing is when we look at the biblical ark, we say, how did God's people do? They didn't do terribly well. The Bible continually shows us the flaws and the brokenness of people so that we can see our own hearts mirrored in its pages. Keep in mind, this is so important, if we can get, just get this, the arc of the biblical story is at this time leaning toward the ultimate act of redemption, that is in Christ, but we now are on this side of the cross and the resurrection. And so we actually get into the work of God's restoration starting with us. We actually, and this is why I like this idea of like, well, I might have some brokenness. The fact that we don't want to admit that is a result of the church culture that we have grown up in or maybe even helped establish. And in some ways, I think this is a good question. In some ways the question is this, what kind of church do we feel God's calling us to be? How did the church do in performance-driven discipleship that basically says, don't let them see a sweat. Don't let people see your weakness. Don't let people see your brokenness. Don't admit when you're wrong. Don't, like, all of that kind of stuff. I would suggest not terribly well. All it does is perpetuate this idea that, like, you know, we've got it all together. And we don't. We don't. We need the daily grace of God. The work of God's restoration that He has, that He's going to do through you, actually begins in you. Will we wear a mask or embrace? the brokenness and the need for God's grace. I'm just going to give one last example and then I'll wrap this thing up. We're going to start you on a little bit of a journey today. Um, This was was noted in Pete Scazzaro's book that I had mentioned before. Uh, Does anybody know the the word, uh, this is a Japanese term, wabi-sabi? It sounds funny, but it's a real thing. Has anybody heard that before? It's a fascinating thing. It's It's a sort of philosophy of flawed beauty. The idea that that beauty can be found in imperfect sort of things. Um, This this next picture that is here, um, this is a kintsugi bowl, uh, which is sort of in this philosophical framework of of wabi-sabi. It's a kintsugi bowl. Um, And it's a really interesting sort of form of art. Uh, Kintsugi means to join with gold and this artwork is actually created by first breaking the bowl. Once reassembled, the piece is considered more beautiful than the original because the fault lines are now lined with precious veins of gold. It's this sort of this acrylic that they make with, with gold sort of built into it. And so now you've got this more valuable piece. It's also considered more strong and more valuable uh, than it had originally been. This is actually this is a really beautiful picture when you stop and think about, okay, okay, dealing with our brokenness, being honest with our past and our family line and our false identities that we live under and all of those kind of things. Taking authority to take a step forward. Pete Scazzaro says this, as we offer our brokenness back to God, He puts us together in ways more beautiful and spectacular than before. Listen, our cracks remain, but they have been sealed with God by the master artist himself I have learned the reality of that example by looking at many of your lives and a little bit looking at my own to see the places where I've been able to offer some of my brokenness back to the Lord and realize he wants to put something together and he wants to create a new thing behold I'm making all things new that's the restoration verse right that's what he does it's a beautiful beautiful picture um so we got to wrestle with our with our own brokenness if i had a third mess point for this message and i don't you're, you're gonna get to go home soon don't worry it would go like this first remember god's faithfulness second remember our brokenness and third remember god's faithfulness again because <laughs> that is the that's the joy of like when you bring your brokenness to god you bring your brokenness to a god who is faithful uh, and he, he works through those broken situations. So I started this message telling you about falling down the stairs. Three years old. That, was my, that is my first memory. I texted my mom. I asked her. She said, yeah, you were about three years old when that happened. Um, I told my, my, my mom that I remembered that big fall down the stairs. But I also remember her picking me up and taking care of me. As like one of my first memories. There's a trauma, brokenness, pain, and care and like like, that's another one it's vivid I remember it as well as I remember my chubby legs and my funky shoes and the fall itself or whatever I have this this deep memory of like my mom hugging me like you know that desperate hug like my kid almost killed himself you know and I love him so much and I just oh he's gonna be okay you know and I, I remember that as well and I told my mom that I said I want you to no I remember that piece too it wasn't all bad and P.S. I think I turned out somewhat okay, so it's fine. Yeah, that's the power of memory. Um, here's one last little uh, one last little quote for you. Uh, so a big hero, big legacy hero of mine, uh, Tim Keller, just passed away, um, and uh, just loved his teaching and loved learned so much under him and re- his readings and all of that different thing those different things. Um, this is what he says, and I think it just captures the gospel so beautifully. In light of all of this, he says, "On the cross, Jesus was putting Himself into our lives, into our misery, into our mortality, so that we could be brought into His life, His joy, and His immortality." And he was Tim Keller was fond of saying this. He would say, "So listen, all of you broken folks." cheer up cheer up you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine and yet you're more deeply loved than you ever dared hope like that's that's sort of the authentic faithfulness of God that we find when we put our brokenness in his hand so here's what I'd like to do I I do want to give you an opportunity just to respond to this today sort of in one of two ways uh, and you can pick the one that's, that's for you. If, if one of these is, then we'll, we'll bless you with this. Uh, there are those that are here today that would say, I want to be a blessing to the next generation. And I want to be more intentional about that. I want to pray for the work of God in the next generation. Um, and so we want to just give you just space to say, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm praying for the next generation. Uh, the second one is, I don't know where you land with your own ability to say, I've got brokenness in my family line. Again, I don't know anybody that doesn't. But I know a lot of people who aren't ready to acknowledge it. Aren't ready to maybe deal with it. And you might not be ready to deal with it today. But I also suspect that there's someone who's like, I know exactly what needs to be dealt with. And I want to make a declaration over my family line today. And I want to take in the authority of Christ back some ground that the enemy wants to steal. And wants to keep stealing. And I'm not going to let him do it by God's grace and in the authority of Christ. Um, so I would, love, I would love those two individuals. You know, the one that says, I want to pray for the next, uh, for, for the next generation. Um, and the person who says, I'm ready to, to kind of put a stake in the ground. Um, I would just ask you to, to, to pray with me. And I think what we'll do is, I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, if we could all s- sort of stand up. And, uh, you know, this feels like a good take a step forward moment because I just feel like there's something that honors the Lord about that. Um, If you are one of those two people saying, I want to pray over the next generation, would you just start walking forward right now? I just want to just you to identify yourself just coming forward here uh, into this space. And if you're a person saying, you know what, I'm taking some authority over some space that has been broken. I know exactly what it is and what the Lord's calling me to. Would you also kind of step into this space as well in prayer? As you come, I just want to pray for you. Jesus, thank you for uh, the finished work that you have given us. And uh, we do want to be a people that remember your faithfulness and also acknowledge without shame, God, our brokenness. And, Lord, I, I just believe that we got, we got next generation people that are here saying, I just want to bless the next generation. Just honor it. We just honor that prayer. It's a good prayer. We acknowledge, Lord, that the, the next generation needs the encounter with you. And so, God, we, we release that encounter to the next generation. We pray you'd catch some by surprise and that you would wake some up that are not currently walking with you and that you would create a hunger. Lord, we pray many times that you would increase hunger in the next generation. And there's some of you that are up here that are saying, I need to, I need to do some business with my family line. You know, here's, here's just a couple things I want to speak over you. Number one, if you're in Christ today, you have a new family. Make that declaration in prayer. I have a new family. I'm adopted into the family of Christ. It's a great place to start. I have a new name. And I'm not talking about your physical name that people call you. I'm talking about the identity and the destiny that God has for you in the John 10.10 10, abundant life. You, know, you need to name something. You said, I've been hearing this my whole life. The people have put this on me. The enemy has put this on me. And I'm not going to wear that anymore. I lo- There's people that are right up here right now that have already done this. I've already heard some of your stories. Powerful stories. So I have a new family. I have a new name. I have a new calling. Make that declaration in prayer. Lord, I'm going to move forward. And the promises that you have given, not the curses that I had been formerly in. And I have a new destiny. You just begin to speak over that. See see what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you as you stand up. And then then take some courage and say, I'm going to speak over my family line. I'm going to speak over the generations that come after me. And Lord, I want to just say right now, I want to just break off in the name of Jesus anything that is not of you that has been foisted upon your people. We say no to that. We say yes to the abundant life of Christ. We say yes to discipleship in Christ. We say yes to sacrificial living in Christ. We say yes to dying to self in Christ. We say yes to picking up our cross in Christ. We say yes to the story you want to write in Christ rebuke the evil one for his work so thank you Lord for that help us to do some business today by your Holy Spirit thank you God that we get to be part of that which was broken I even think about your your scripture to us we have this treasure in jars of clay and that's us Lord very much broken apart from you we have this treasure in jars of clay So that people will see that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. To you, God, we give all the glory. Thank you for leading us in the journey. Thank you for working in our families. Thank you for the stories that are going to be written. And we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. You all can stay here. Continue to pray as the team leads us in worship.